0: Do we see you at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK. Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kemp, Abby Rose, Benedict Beusel, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates, and many, many more. See you there. We had serious internet issues while recording this interview, so bear with us. The quality is lower than what you're used to, but I think that the region stories from Uganda are worth it. Why is Uganda the place if you want to launch and build an agroecology and regenerative agriculture and food company? Join me on a journey which led one of our guests of today from tasting how agriculture practices have changed and let him focus on agroecology. We discuss why Uganda adjoins political support for agroecology and the importance of different stewardship ownership models, and the importance of different investment models, and why the biggest impact in region can actually be made on the African continent. And we unpack the key differences of a startup studio versus an incubator or an accelerator, and why the startup studio model is so exciting. This is the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, where we talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return why my focus on soil and regeneration because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land and our sea grow our food what we eat wear and consume and it's time that we as investors big and small and consumers start paying much more attention to the dirt soil underneath our feet to make it easy for fans to support our work we launched our membership community and so many of you have joined us as a member thank you if our work created value for you, and if you have the means, and only if you have the means, consider joining us. Find out more on gumroad.com slash investing in Regen That is gumroad.com slash investing in Regen Or find the link below. Welcome to another episode today with the co-founders of Ruticle, a startup studio that enables purpose-driven entrepreneurs in Uganda to build and own their regenerative agri-food companies. Welcome Joachim and Hannes. And to start with a personal question to both of you, but I'm going to start with with Joachim. What brought you to, like from all the different career paths you could have chosen or you could have fallen into, um, how did you end up focusing on soil?
1: I think you know a lot of people know that agriculture is the backbone uh, of the African continent. About 70% of Uganda's working population alone is employed in agriculture. And of course, you know my own family, uh, all the way from my great grandparents um, up to me right now, are farmers. And farming has provided you know livelihood and the food that nourishes us. In my lifetime as well, um, I've seen how farming has generally uh, gone from being a bit obvious, um, producing delicious foods, to needing a lot of external inputs and producing food that is not that delicious. In a way, farming has become unreliable over time and the additives we're we're making have made food uh, also less tasty. And one, one thing that's interesting is farmers um, that I've interacted with, that I've seen even my own family, are aware of and have seen the dangers of what is happening um, with chemicals being added to boost growth and the dangers that uh, it brings both to the soil, to crops, and also to health. Um, but many, many continue to do this because they don't have many alternatives. And so regenerative agriculture and agroecology provide this alternative. Um, and give us this, the opportunity to farm while building back soils, protecting, uh, producing healthy and nutritious foods and restoring our biodiversity. Um, and I came across these two concepts when I met Hannes actually a few years ago, uh, in Kampala when we were collaborating uh, on a new program. Um, and this fit quite well with what we're doing at Shona. Our work at Shona is about, um, is about building good businesses. We believe business uh, is a force for good and the ultimate purpose of business is to benefit society. Um, and this is why we call um, these businesses good businesses. And when I came across these ideas of regenerative agriculture and agroecology, they, they, we saw this at Shona as uh, we saw the potential for regenerative agriculture as the best way of practicing good business in agriculture because the power of uh, regional agriculture to build back soils and ecosystems while providing social benefits, um, creating com- competitive business value, decent jobs, and fueling the growth of local and regional markets and economies makes regenerative agriculture enterprises uh, worth investments for our common future and for a um, sustainable food system. So I'm personally excited about this opportunity to build regenerative agriculture businesses And RUTICO is just one of our initiatives uh, now in this area under our growing program that we now call um, the Agri-Food Founders Program at Shona.
0: Okay, so thank you, thank you so much for that, and so many, so many follow-ups. But let's first welcome uh, our second guest of today to the show, Hannes. Um, I don't think we ever even met in person. Maybe now you're going to tell me we did, Um, but. I, I know a bit about your journey, and of course, I followed you on LinkedIn. I, I uh, highly recommend everybody to do that. I will put the link below. Uh, but welcome on on the podcast, and, and for you the same question as for for Joachim, and, and maybe a, a different journey, um, but very curious about what led you to to focus on agroecology, to focus on regenerative agriculture, and, and of course, to focus on soil.
2: Yeah, thanks, Kuhn, and, and nice to be here. I'm really I'm really honored uh, to be part of this uh, show. We we didn't meet yet in person, but it feels like uh, we're friends for so many years, uh, listening to your podcast. So um, really, thanks for that. Um, yeah, I'm Hannes. I'm from Belgium. Uh, I live in Uganda now, um, and actually, my uncle, my late uncle, the the brother to my grandma, he had a mixed farm, uh, and and. Um, as usual, back in the days, uh, all large uh, Belgian families had a, a priest, uh, a farmer, and, and some local entrepreneurs uh, in their offspring. And so, um, I really remember um, being on that farm of my of my uh, grand uncle um, to uh, uh, enjoying the ride on the on the tractor, or, uh, to feed the cows, and and actually few once a year we would gather with the whole family to participate in harvesting the beets uh, manually with uh, 40 50 people in the fields and so those are my my first memories related to farming um in addition, I've, I've really been taught uh, justice, fairness, and international solidarity from a very young age with both my parents in, in social jobs, my father in, in international cooperation, Latin America, West Africa. Um, and so um, I remember uh, uh, vaguely a, a visit to Bolivia when I was seven years old and we would visit farmers in the Altiplano. And, and I think based on that visit, I, I was really determined to do something. Something related to to water and agriculture. So so fast forward, when I left university with a, a commercial degree in business engineering, I, I was still like set to, to do something with water or agriculture or both. And so um, right after leaving university, I, I moved to Peru, where I've lived and worked uh, five years as part of the agroecology uh, movement, and and I really appreciated the strong. Cosmovision, vision, no, the, the the whole and one vision of, of the the cosmos and the universe we're part of, um, uh, deeply embedded in Quechua uh, Andean uh, culture and, and also agriculture actually, and 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 I really came to see agroecology as a motor for for rural development and and really uh, was keen on spending probably the, the rest of my life on on that idea. So, in Peru, I've worked uh, with the National Organic Farmers Association, smallholder farmers in the mountains, uh, the costa, uh, the coast areas, and the, and the selva, the rainforest. Um, and uh, we've worked on all things from training in agroecology, production, capacity building, mapping, genetic biodiversity of roots and tubers, organizational strengthening, market access, business development, and and also advocacy on, on the regional and national levels. Um Back in Europe, after those five years, I have joined uh, La Ruche oui, or the Food Assembly in English, uh, probably Europe's largest short food supply chain network, uh, a French e-commerce startup that uh, gathered, um, or for which I've developed a business in Belgium and the Netherlands under the name of Boeren & Buren, uh, Farmers & Neighbors, uh, in, translated in English. Um, and in, in those two countries, we've, we've gathered 1,000 producers, set up up... up 120 local food communities and basically connected them, connected neighbors directly to their farmers in their surroundings uh, via that uh, web um, uh, application. And um, and in the last years, uh, that platform reached up to 12 million in annual sales uh, uh, after I started it uh, back in 2015. And so, Working with uh, the Food Assembly, I've really uh, come to love the power of social entrepreneurship and, and how it aligns and also simplifies incentives. Um, basically, the more revenues you make as a business, the more impact you'll have. And, and and yeah, that last experience also showed me what it does to a business to have unrealistic growth ambitions uh, because of the way they are financed, short-term financial pressures taking over at some point, and, and And that also... Um, yeah, moved me to to look at ownership uh, as part of the the rootical um, uh, principles. And so, yeah. In short, and to come back to your question, I think. Um, I'm, I'm more about people than, than soils, uh, per se. Uh, but of course, uh, reviving soils is also a way of reviving our communities, our landscapes and, 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 and the people that live on them. So, um, that's why, that's why I'm so passionate about soils, uh, regenerative agriculture, uh, and agroecology. So, um, maybe to add on that after three months, uh, in uh, Uganda. Um, We moved here in 2020. I basically came along with my wife to support her career. Uh, She's working on innovation in education. Um, And um, after three months, I was doing some consultancy, but it was really itching to to build again. And and so I was asking myself, what am I going to do? Um, Can I be a business developer for some agri-food venture? uh, And and when I asked myself, I've noticed a lot of uh, successful agri-food businesses in Uganda are, are white-owned, and there's always some white, uh, usually male uh, person involved, and, and many of them actually are, are Dutch, like you, Kun. So I, I was I was thinking about this deeply, and I said, like, let's let's. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me try to use my my privilege and. and and my position and access to funding to to help Ugandans to build the businesses they see fit for for the Ugandan food system.
0: And Joachim, do you remember when you met this this guy from Belgium but had also lived in Peru and have built this have helped build this startup in in Belgium. You remember the first time you met him and and what did you think? You can share anything here.
1: Yeah, no, I think we met in 2021. Um, yeah, and I think I had actually didn't have many expectations at the time. <laughs> we were collaborating on, a, on another initiative um, that he was uh, part of and leading, um, Generation Food Program, which we now implement uh, here. Um, but I think one of the things that, you know, that I think drew me um, or drew me and asked, you know, our team, because you know, Hannes met with me and my co-founder Ivan, um, and so it's not just Joafim; it's really Seanai. Um, I think what drew us to Hannes was his deep passion, um, deep passion and enthusiasm uh, for regenerative agriculture, for fairness, um, and so that that naturally infected us. Um, and I would say, you know, I credit all our work in this area now um, to that meeting, to meeting Hannes. Um, And, you know, he sparked a lot of work there that is now going to go and leave.
0: Our friends at Planetary Evergreen Impact Ventures are looking for a fund director and a senior investment manager. And you get to work with friend of the show, Thomas Hogenhaven. Listen to our conversation with Thomas below and find out more on the positions at planetary.dk. That's planetary delta kilo. And what then led to, to call? because I think um, it could have taken many different routes and many different directions. It could have, uh, I mean, uh, a few consultancy things together and, and sort of stopped there, like what, what gave birth or what, what seeds were planted uh, to stay in the in the theme to that led at the end or not at the end actually where you are now and then we'll unpack the the startup studio and we'll unpack a route to go further but what led to that why was it a logical or maybe it wasn't a logical path?
2: I well I think we when we, when I've met Joachim and Ivan, Um, We've been working on on a generation food, uh, an incubator program. We've also worked uh, on an accelerator, Nature, which is also currently run uh, by Shona. And we should also mention uh, it later. Um, And and, and my initial uh, thoughts were... Actually, about a uh, kind of incubating. How can we better support agroecological entrepreneurs to emerge, grow their business, and thrive? You no. Know? Um, but then um, uh, I came across um, the startup studio model uh, thanks to your podcast, actually, Kuhn, and to uh, um, uh, and with Fresh Ventures Studio. You no, know? they're they're basically doing the same uh, that we are doing, but they do it in Europe. They're older than us. We we call them our, our European sister, and and we work closely together. Um, so for me, there were three founding principles um, um, uh, of which uh, eventually Routicol as a startup studio emerged. No, the first one is agroecology, organic agriculture and regenerative agriculture as the best paradigms of our food system for our future food systems. And there's a huge debate there about the, the similarities and differences between those three terms, but um, Hans Herren, uh, Biovision's uh, President once said, uh, "Regenerative agriculture is agroecology if done right," and and I really closely um, mm-hmm. adhere to that to that statement. No, and and I've also mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. really loved yeah, yeah. Uh, climate farmers on the podcast saying that an investment that enhances the life holding capacity of a system and the ability of that system to act according to its purses, purpose is what it makes. Uh, what makes it regenerative, right? So that's those two are really are really um, important when when discussing definitions or differences. Um, the second pillar is purpose-driven entrepreneurship. So looking at inclusive inclusive business models um, and really um, building businesses that are commercially viable, scalable, and impactful at the same time, and also a bit moving away from the, the niche export uh, focused for organic, uh, really trying to make uh, agroecological healthy food uh, available for all Ugandans, uh, rather than then focused on those elite markets. And then the third principle is about yeah, alternative ownership models. You know, how can we change the way our agri-food businesses are financed, managed, and owned? And that's where steward ownership comes in. Um, so yeah, how did we get there? Basically, I first, the last piece for me was toward ownership. Then I heard about Fresh uh, and the startup studio model. And then we ran into our uh, first financial partners, the Dune Foundation.
0: And and so Joachim, for you and the work you were already doing because that, that is already a lot, like how did this startup studio uh, puzzle piece, let's say, how did that fit into the, the bigger puzzle that you are building? And and why did you decide to uh, add another layer to, uh, let's say, probably already quite a full a full week and a full year?
1: Yeah, I think the um, the biggest puzzle for us was how how agricology um, the principles behind agroecology and regenerative agriculture uh, fit well with our values and thinking and belief system. I think there was that alignment initially, right? Because it's um, um, so, so that alignment uh, between kind of our values and how we think about business, right? When you look at our ecology and this idea of, you know, how are you producing quality products and services for customers? How how you, um, you creating value that is shared by, you know, um, by the majority and not the few, right? How are you spreading wealth? Um, how are you, how are you uh, building a business while uh, protecting the environment, right? And um, all these, all these, all these, you know, how are you building a business that takes care of its employees? All these ideas are enshrined in, in the principles of agroecology and regenerative agriculture. And for us, you know, agriculture is one of the key sectors that we've been kind of working in. We've worked with a, a couple of agribusinesses. The values of agroecology and regenerative agriculture fit quite well without thinking around good business. And so for us, you know, that alignment and fit uh, made a lot of sense, which has gotten us to. Adopt agroecology and regenerative agriculture as our thinking um, of how you build a good business in, agric- in the agriculture sector. And so it's now, a, you know, a core part of how we think. And so when that, you know, when, when that alignment happened for us, the part of, you know, the way of doing it, which is a studio model, um, uh, was just an additional, a smaller piece um, to add to this uh, to this bigger story.
0: And, and can you walk us through the studio model for people? I mean, of course, we'll link the interviews we've done with with Fresh below, but uh, I'm also assuming not everybody listens to that. You should, but still. Um, can you walk us through what a, a studio model looks like, um, as I'm imagining most people haven't maybe heard about it, but don't really know what a startup studio actually, actually is, and, and more importantly, also what it isn't?
2: yeah a startup studio basically brings together people talent um financial resources and and ideas no um mind-breaking or or very innovative ideas ideally so that's what we're all about and, and we really trying to, uh, as you said in the introduction, to, to power Ugandan entrepreneurs to identify which problems uh, need to be addressed in the Ugandan food systems, which business solutions can they build to address those problems and um, how can we better equip them with uh, mentorship um, uh, and financial resources or as, as Shona likes to put it, uh, capacity building connections and capital. Um, and so that's what we do. We, we build businesses and at some point want to spin them out of the studio and then also expect uh, certain returns in the future that will allow us to reinvest in in the growth of our startup studio and pay out our our stakeholders. Um, So for us, the studio model is really... Uh, a fantastic way to work towards place-based investing and to de-risk and mobilize uh, investing in food systems transformation um, especially in, in in agriculture especially in a region like East Africa which is often perceived high risk um, which is also yeah, a myth we want to we want to start debunking um, and so our theory of change basically revolves around the idea of uh, building a portfolio of regenerative agri-food businesses that then contribute to um, the organic agriculture movement and strengthening that entire uh, momentum from agroecology uh, in the country and in the region. Um, Rutical is, I would say, a first in its kind um, because um, we start... Uh, with a participatory food system analysis in August. uh, We're now in our first cohort, by the way. So in August, we've spent uh, 10 days with 40 people, training them in regenerative agriculture, purpose-driven entrepreneurship, and we've conducted a deep analysis of the food system to then build businesses to address the key challenges we have identified together. And this, we we call it systemic venture building, right? Um, and, and, And what's key here is that it's Ugandan entrepreneurs choosing what to build, building it, and in the end, also owning it and, and benefiting from, from the businesses once they scale and become successful. Um, so, yeah, our, our goal is to, to bring solid business development support in agroecology. ecology and, and we've seen the agroecology movement around the world. It's really strong, um, but we've seen that gap uh, and, and that urge to bring more purpose-driven businesses in agri On top of that, in Uganda, we've seen a lot of short-term, light-touch and generic business development support programs that often... And don't offer access to finance, and uh, and yeah, one of uh, our golden rules is is don't do business development without access to finance. And so we, we're looking at the studio as an active co-founder, long term, very hands on, and also with skin in the game. No? we can only benefit if our businesses do well. Um, so yeah, let me stop there for now. Yeah, and
0: and yeah, then... and maybe I'll just go ahead, please.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll chime in here, you know, you asked about the differences uh, between the studio model and other models, right? So you have, we're implementing a few other models here, so um, in in this space, so, you know, we have the incubator that Hannes talked about earlier on, um, Generation Food Uganda, that is now evolving into another wider program uh, called Afri Food Links, Um, so that's an incubator, it takes, you know, um, it takes uh, existing ideas and helps incubate them and help them grow. Um, and then you have the accelerator model that uh, focuses on uh, where we focus on already existing ideas that, that have a lot of traction. You We're know, helping them ac- helping accelerate their growth. Um, yeah, helping accelerate their growth. With the studio model, um, so with the other two models, you have existing ideas. Um, um, you're working with already existing ideas. With the studio model, um, you're working with uh, uh, with pre-idea entrepreneurs, right? You're focusing on entrepreneurs who have managed to come up with an idea, um, that they come up, we help them create, come up with their own ideas during the studio process, um, that Hannes referenced, uh, at first, boot camp is where well. we, we work with them to identify the problem, um, and then fall in love with the problem and then, uh, following that to come up with, that, with the idea that they want to work on. But what is exciting, you know, uh, among amongst all these models, I think for me, what excites us about uh, Rutico and the studio model is this opportunity to build the purest forms of regenerative agriculture businesses from the beginning, um, and so that's the that's the, the advantage we have um, with, with, with a model like Rutiq.
0: Yeah, because you don't have to. I think it, it's interesting because the the startup studio or venture studio model. Um, sounds a bit counterintuitive to the story we like to tell each other of the entrepreneur in the garage that has a dream for the last 20 years and then built something etc etc and and in reality that's often very different and studios around the world in, in other sectors have shown and, and fresh as well and you're showing in, in this first cohort that there is um, actually the the route to entrepreneurship and to specific companies can can be different in a sense that people with entrepreneurial experience Um, If they are exposed to the systemic issues and opportunities in a food system or in a system, in this case, food system, um, and and they're they're helped well and coached and and, uh, assisted, they will end up building very interesting, very pure, as you say, Joachim, um, businesses that are needed. Because I think that's a frustration um, if you're on an incubator or an accelerator, you have to work with what what is there already and you you cannot really steer. I mean, you can steer a bit probably, but not too much. And in the Venture Studio model, you can actually really actively steer towards what's needed and where the biggest potential impact and also opportunities may may lay. And hopefully, um, I don't know if there's a term for that, but they have a lot less waste of talent of people working on something that at the end might not be successful or uh, a very impactful uh, let's say so that makes it makes it interesting and now as you're in the first in the first cohort what um we're recording this at the beginning of 2024 um what are they going through where are you now if you had to take like a picture or have to take stock of uh, what what currently is happening in uh, in a cohort like how long is it how many how many months uh, where where is the group currently at what are they uh, what are they going through as we're recording this
2: yeah, let's, let's share a bit about the, the roller coaster we've been going through, um, the last half year or so. Um,
0: <laughs> I've seen it from inside at, at fresh yeah. or from the outside, sorry. And, and I can imagine, but I would love to hear the roller coaster, the version, the East Africa version.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So to what you said, cool, uh, uh, the, 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 the venture studio, startup studio, really tries to turn business building into a repeatable process, right? So we we talk about the playbook a lot. We or some people call it the flywheel. And and the more we go through building those ventures into those uh, systemic venture building cycles, the more we learn. You no. Know? So this is really an opportunity also for for Ruticle to become an expert in in regenerative venture building here in Uganda in East Africa, and 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 it will automatically lead to us becoming better in attracting and nurturing talent in that space but also uh, to turn uh, into a fundraising platform no so that's part of the let's say the bigger dream we are about and 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 this startup studio or startup studio argument for uh, for um, leading to higher success rates no startup studios uh, are known to show 30 to 50% Success rates, shorter build times, and so on, um, while while yeah compared to classic venture building where you're kind of hunting for the unicorn, and so um, we we don't want to do that. Um, to to your question, so um, we've. We started recruiting in May last year. We had in in a bit uh, more than a month we had 750 applicants wanting to join the studio. Wow! We've called 100 of them <laughs> Good after <luck> with screening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's luckily we automated a, a huge part of the screening uh, with a with an entrepreneur uh, selection platform uh, used by developed by Incap to, to decide on their funding. And so we, we've we've called the 100 uh, most promising candidates, had a deep interview with them, and then finally selected 40 um, to join our boot camp 10 days to become trained food system change makers. You know? And so in those 10 days, we've uh, conducted that analysis of the food system, identified key challenges and opportunities, um, and we really uh, did what they call problem loving. So that was in August, and then from out of those 40, we've selected 24 to join us half September on a three-month systemic venture building journey in which we moved from problem validation to ideation, prototyping, business modeling, and also rapid testing. So here the focus is really on on human-centered design and designing always with that food systems lens uh, in mind. Out of that, we uh, emerged, uh, uh, we came out with uh, eight uh, businesses being led by 16 uh, founders in residence at Rutical. And uh, in December, we had our first pitch day and we represented those eight businesses and uh, we'll be happy to share the link as well please do um, yeah. and now we're at the stage uh, of deciding which will be the businesses that we will invite into our studio um, to incorporate launch and fund uh, five or six of those businesses in, in 2024 and then um, uh, we'll work with them on a on a day on a weekly uh, basis and we really help them to to get the basics rights to get up and running to keep on focusing on, on customers uh, uh, working in that human centric way uh, testing questioning all their assumptions and building all the way to product market fit and, and beyond and so at some point next year in 25 we're expecting our first businesses to spin out of the studio which is when they will reach a, a certain level uh, significant levels of, of sales and revenue or when they will manage to get some follow-on uh, funding on board. And so that's the yeah that's the plan for now. Um, and ideally, um, dependent on fundraising, we also um, want to launch a second cohort uh, in Uganda by the end of this year. And we would uh, love to replicate in another East African country sometime uh, 2025 or 2026.
0: What is your um, biggest surprise? Uh, positive, negative, or what, what is uh, that really you wouldn't have expected, let's say, in August when you started uh, this journey with with the 40 people and, and the 10 days deep dive?
2: Yeah, I think w- what comes out strongly to me is that our methodology, the, the playbook we've been uh, implementing uh, since August, Really worked out uh, very well. We've really managed to move from from deeply understanding the key challenges to ideating, defining solutions that might address those challenges. Um, and we've also seen quite some complementarity between the businesses, no? Which is a, of course, an added advantage that we have as as a business builder is that we we're we're learning five times as fast as fast if we're building five businesses this year. And and we already see that in, yeah among the different businesses um, let's say developed over the last months Um, we also yeah there's so much opportunity for collaboration and that's that again it it comes very close to the to the basic uh, or the principles of agroecology right
0: and now turning it to to you Joachim um, what what is your biggest surprise you've seen over the last month You want to learn how to invest, or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space, or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com/course or in the show notes description below.
1: Yeah, and I think I mentioned this. Uh, I mentioned this to the. to the to the entrepreneurs themselves, right? But just how quickly um, how quickly they're able to go from having no idea um, to having ideas and even you know having physical products for those that uh, are building products and testing them in the market and having customers in such a short period of time. We're talking about a three-month period. Was quite you know we've seen entrepreneurs work with them about all you know. Um, that was surprising, right? Um, meeting a group of individuals at the beginning with no idea who didn't know each other. And after three month period now, um, our phone teams are working close together and have built products and services that have actually tested uh, and are selling uh, was quite humbling um, Yeah, from this process.
0: And and actually a follow-up question on, on the region and, and Uganda specifically to you, Joachim. Why I mean, you mentioned at the beginning the the challenges and issues with agriculture in, in your home country, what you've seen and tasted literally. Um, why is it such a, a perfect place? I mean, I know investors always ask why now and, and why here in this case and why this team? Um, why is it such a perfect place for an agroecology slash regen focused uh, studio? Like what, what makes the, for people that haven't been or haven't been in a long time, um, why is, is Uganda such a, an interesting place for the agroecology revolution? Um, there's
1: a lot of people that are practicing agriculture for their main livelihood. Um, I think that's the first. Um, the second, when you think about um, uh, uh, when you think about uh, uh, the degradation of soil, actually, um, while we're doing badly, we're not doing so um, uh, so so badly. So there's an opportunity to arrest what has already happened right now. Um, Uh, and kind of return us back, Uh, uh, yeah, return us back and rebuild our biodiversity and soils. I think that's uh, the other moment we're in right now. Um, But then there are also other things that are going on uh, including um, things like, you know, organic agriculture has been, uh, organic agriculture and organic farming has been uh, very popular here. we have the highest number of organics organically certified farmers um here in Uganda um, and then i think the most important part um, is uh, the political goodwill that uh, ideas like agroecology and regenerative agriculture enjoy right now in this moment uh, there's a lot of alignment uh with the president uh um with the ministers the minister of uh, with Ministry of of Agriculture in the Principles of Agriculture and GNG of Agriculture. Um, To the extent that, uh, you know, organizations like Monsanto have been kept out, uh, ideas like, um, ideas like, uh, how is it called? Ideas like, uh, uh, what's what's that seed called?
0: Um, Genetically modified GMO.
1: GMOs, yes. Ideas like GMOs are still being fought. Um, while chemicals uh, are being used, they're still shunned upon. So, w- you have the, when you have, you, we have the right political will right now to boldly advance these ideas uh, of, of agroecology and of agriculture. So, I think it's such a, a, a wonderful moment uh, to be building a studio and advancing agroecology and, and genetic agriculture uh, right now in Uganda.
0: I think a lot of people are very jealous at the moment to hear that you have political support for um in general. I think many places wish that it was, let's say, any understanding um, of, of agriculture in general, let alone agricology principles and regenerative agriculture. Um, so, how, how did that happen, or, or why is that now that you have? Uh, is it the angle of food security with COVID? Was it already before? Like how? or has it been because of the success of, of organic until now? What makes, wh- why do you think, I mean, it's a difficult question, um, but that you have a, an a minister and a president that are mm-hmm. listening or at least understanding to a certain extent what you're working on.
1: Yeah, I, I feel free to dive in here, but I think for me, it's uh, a combination of having a president. Uh, so one, there's, you know, food security, that's important. But also secondly, there's, you um, Uh, Having a president that believes in the traditional methods um, of doing things, a Pan African at heart, um, yeah, who believes in a Pan African at heart who believes in traditional methods of uh, of doing things, sometimes the detriment of progress, um, but also uh, in this case has served us a lot uh, from from going the route of you know GMOs and um, and the large agriculture companies. yeah, so I think that's the main one. You'll see that you know Kenya was the same until recently when they uh, when they changed their president to the current president, who mainly came in and uh, signed a bill that allowed uh, allowed GMOs um, into the country, um, which is a big departure. Um, so I don't know how much of us we can protect after our president is gone, because you know there's a lot of pressure from different angles, as you know, the big the large agriculture companies. Um, But this is one of the areas that, you know, um, uh, that he has been stubborn about or that he has been very, uh, uh, very slow to move on, eh? if if that's uh, the right one. It might
0: help that, I'm curious about Hannah's perspective from the outside as well, but it might help. We we actually interviewed him recently that the president of Slow Food, the international movement for good, clean and fair food, uh, actually, comes from it comes from Uganda and, and lives there and is very active Eddie uh, in in the local uh, space as well. But what do you see, Hannah, as a um, as an outsider? Um, f- from lived on two other yeah, different yeah, Eddie, continents. Yeah, Eddie
2: is a friend, a friend of Rutical. Yeah. So,
0: what do you? What?
2: Uh, Eddie, Eddie is a friend of Rutical. What, what I see, I think Uganda is, is located co- about 1,000 meters above sea level, uh, and and has uh, quite a lush green environment uh, overall, um, um, and and so very favorable agroecological conditions in general, um, abundant water resources. Um, however uh also, uh, it, we see, you can really observe quickly degrading um, environments, soils, water resources, and so on, right? So, th- th- I think we're really at uh, getting close to a tipping point, maybe. And, and so, this provides a huge opportunity to, to regenerate those watersheds, to regenerate um, those communities and soils, and to also... Um, uh, build or improve livelihoods of those millions of smallholder farmers, right? And, and that's, I mean, that's a parallel that I've seen from Peru to India to Uganda is that uh, in rural uh, um, uh, economies, um, agriculture and, and the regenerative kind preferably is really a key to unlock um, livelihood improvements for, for millions of, of smallholder par- smaller farmers and Ugandans in this case.
0: Yeah, and I've heard, but absolutely correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, I've never been to to Uganda, um, but that it's I think take Latona's who we've interviewed many times, who are definitely working on the cash crop side, but doing fascinating uh, things on the South African side and also East Africa now. Said funny enough, if I compare to like farmers. Uh, that i know here in 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 northern europe etc it's almost easier to make the jump because um especially uganda but other places haven't been so addicted yet to to the chemical input side and with amazing compost and with amazing um inputs you can make yourself or get quite high quality in easy steps uh, you can make enormous jumps very quickly like you can make like the impact um is is quite quick and it's almost quicker than if you would take a potato farmer in in the netherlands and and have him or her go through a transition like it's a lot longer than some of the work they're doing or they're seeing uh, like the soil response quicker and and input side is easier i mean it, it's almost easier to do plus you have no subsidies uh, but also no subsidies on the other side of things to to keep the current system going uh, which which might help uh, so the impact on the soil of course you're focusing on companies that are not always, I mean, you're not building farms, but the impact on soil could be even quicker in, in many of the places you, you operate. And then so in, in the companies you've seen um, or the companies that you would like to see, like what just to to give us a, a flavor, of course you cannot tell who you're gonna invite yet, but just give us a flavor of the eight that presented and we'll put a link below as well if you wanna see uh, the, um, the pitch day. Like just give us a flavor of, of the kind of companies that are are potentially going to be going to be built or are going to be invited into into the studio just have an idea of what yeah what we're talking about concretely here
2: yeah so uh, i'll highlight two out of the two uh, two out of the eight um the first one is called uh, eden seats which is going to be a a farmer owned indigenous seed company. So what we're basically working on is uh, access to affordable, resilient, uh, locally fit uh, indigenous seeds and putting them in the markets as a real and viable alternative to the hybrid seeds that are being promoted um, uh, as well, right? And so, um, yeah, we know seeds, it's the basis of agriculture. It's also a a big opportunity of, of, yeah, fostering more climate-resilient crops and, 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 and um, yeah, improving livelihoods for farmers in the end. Um, how do they want to do this? They basically want to be um, the connecting agents between um, seed producers, individuals, uh, community seed banks and, and other groups that will supply those indigenous seeds and then um, making them available for sale directly to organized farmer groups, farmer cooperatives, but also by selling them via local input uh, dealers, no. So again, putting the regenerative, the agroecological alternative right next to the hybrid and, and, and maybe also GMO seeds you might find. Um, so that's that's Eden seeds. Um, yeah, really, really enthusiastic about this. Uh, we're we're partnering with organisations like like Oxfam who've worked on community seed banks and 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 really trying to unlock um, that access to a larger seed market for uh, seed producers in Uganda. Um, The second one is called uh, Garden Fresh and they basically uh, want to um, extend post-harvest shelf life in fruits and vegetables with natural preservative solutions, um, and and this is this one is I think it's so important because of the huge health uh, risks we are now running when consuming, for instance, tomatoes in Uganda. Um, nearly all tomatoes in Uganda uh, are sprayed with mancozeb, which is a, a slow killer. It's uh, forbidden uh, for use in Europe uh, because of its uh, potential uh, effects. Uh, bird Defects, um, reproductive health, uh, reproductive system effects, and also uh, potentially being carcinogenic. And so um, this mancozep is being applied um, before, during, and after harvest because farmers uh, have come to believe that mancozep also extends post-harvest shelf life, which it actually doesn't. But it's now kind of a, a, a quality seal to have the white powder on your tomatoes, which is basically a, a, an agrochemical. Um, you're you're buying uh, with the tomatoes. And so, um, yeah, the the health risks of of consuming these tomatoes on a daily basis uh, uh, for Ugandans is, is, yeah, they're so huge. And and being able to replace that agrochemical with a natural alternative that is uh, affordable and and, and doesn't cost more than the the chemical uh, substance, um, I think that's just a huge business and impact opportunity alike
0: yeah uh, absolutely and to move to a few questions we we always like to ask what let's say we're we're doing this live or um i mean you've done your your first sort of pitch day not demo day yet let's say live um and the room is full of investors so from all east africa they came to, to you to hear about this uh, agroecology and, and business together, which it might be two words. They haven't um, naturally, as most investors, haven't naturally put together yet. If at the end of the day or the evening, If there's one thing you want them to remember um what what seed would you like to place in in their head that they walk away of course they're going to be enthusiastic about soil about agriculture etc but if if there's one thing you would like them to remember what would you like to tell uh, impact investors and investors in general um what would you like them to to remember and hopefully start working on and maybe investing in
2: well i I think part of of what rudical tries to do is also um, moving away the attention from from the West and Australia, and and really showing the world that you you can invest in Africa, you can invest uh, uh, also in other continents in in um, Asia, Latin America, and so on. And and so my my main call to action would be invest in Africa. um, Two-thirds of agricultural lands uh, on the continent are depleted. Um, Three billion people, uh, including three-quarters of all Africans, cannot afford a healthy diet. And um, in in a country like Uganda, you have 400,000 job market entrants every year against merely 9,000 formally created jobs, right? So there is a huge job creation employment opportunity there uh, as well. And, um, and and of course, as, as Joachim said before, agriculture is the backbone and, and about three quarters of the active population are employed in agriculture. So that's where we can also um, um, achieve substantial um, impact. And so just one more figure, by 2050, one in four people on the planet will be African. Um, and even today, already close to 1 billion Africans are younger than 35 years old. You no, know? So there's a huge opportunity also also uh, for yeah job creation towards the future and so yeah the impact opportunity is huge and and, and when I say impact I, I mean uh, impact by doing business you no know, but business with in regenerative agriculture with uh, while holding the agroecological principles high and um and, and if you're looking for specific topics to invest in, uh, I'm really excited about uh, water cycles, uh, landscape permaculture uh, on one hand, and then also uh, the nutrient density piece and, and food as medi- medicine part uh, on the other right. Um, so yeah, those topics are really keen to my heart, and we're actually planning to launch an additional business this year, being built in-house on, on that topic of um, yeah, how can we improve the water harvesting capacity of the landscape by uh, applying uh, um, yeah watershed-level landscape permaculture uh, principles, and how can we build a business out of that, right? Um, so that's uh, something we're going to look into. Um, structurally, I would also invest invite uh, investors. To help us build the infrastructure um, to mobilize and de risk investments in, uh, in regenerative agriculture and food system transformation uh, in Uganda and in, and in East Africa uh, overall. Um, yeah, Joachim, over to you.
1: Yeah, no, I think the only thing I want to add there is I think what is clear for all of us in the world is that we need to change um, how we farm, right? Um, we need to change how we grow and produce our food. Uh, regenerative agriculture and agroecology offer, uh, the best opportunity to do that. Um, so it, what is also clear, especially in this part of the world, to, um, to what Anas has mentioned is there are businesses in regenerative agriculture that we are seeing through through, through Accelerator, the incubator, uh, through Routico that need financing. Um, and that we need to channel capital to to advance uh, these ideas of agroecology um, and regenerative agriculture. One of the challenges though, is that the current traditional ways of financing uh, like the VC model um, are not sufficient uh, for, you know, um, like the VC model and bank financing are not sufficient uh, for these businesses. This is because of, you know, things like high minimum investment sizes, looking to invest um, at least $100,000, high collateral demands, high interest rates, short-load periods. Um, uh, Most of the investment that exists right now is geared towards conventional agriculture, which has little consideration for the longer-term perspective. Um, By diversity, and little respect for indigenous knowledge. And so we, um, we need to uh, channel more financing mm-hmm. to this sector, and we need new financing models uh, that are tailored to the profile of regenerative agriculture businesses. Um, so some of the work we're doing with Ruticol, with the Nature Acceleration Fund, uh, is to try and uncover some of these financing models uh, that we can share with the world.
2: Yeah, I just want to add to that, that I mean, with Shona, we are really, Working on on building the the momentum, but also the ecosystem for agricultural entrepreneurship in East Africa, and and I think uh, with our studio model, we can we we are. Capable, we are. We have our boots on the ground to invest five or fifty thousand uh, US dollars, euros, whatever, um, into those businesses. We can actually build those businesses, make sure they address key challenges in the food system, and we can also make them investable and bring them up to the to the higher ticket sizes. No, and and, and yeah, typical fund structures. Uh, they need to look at smaller uh, minimum tickets. Uh, while while we as a studio, I think, really provide an opportunity of of, as I said, no de-risking and, and mobilizing those investments into region ag.
0: You mean higher minimum tickets, yeah, typical fund size. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, the approach is fascinating to follow over time. Hence, we're doing this interview. Hence, we're following fresh ventures, uh, etc. to see, like you said before, like you can turn it into a playbook and it doesn't mean like you're building a factory for companies, but it does mean a lot of the pieces of a company of, of coming up and, and testing, et cetera, can be uh, structured in a different way and can be sped up a lot. Like you mentioned, Joachim, like in three months, you can do so much and, and the failure rate can go way down, which is also a waste of talent. Like you spend two years building something that doesn't go anywhere. and And so we need way more people that are capable of building businesses that are Uh, helped to build their businesses to do those businesses in uh, in agroecology with all the support and of course the ownership structures etc we need to to have different and a question we love to ask um, coming from the deep agroecology and regenerative space from John Kemp that he asks it in a slightly different way but we ask it what do you believe to be true about regenerative agriculture that others don't believe to be true so where are you contrarian let's say in your um in your community or in your your bubble
2: so uh, on my side i i would say that we can serve we can feed the masses with organic foods and and there's always this perception of organic food, um, certified or not, um, being more expensive, right? Or being for, for the niche in Kampala or, or, or export markets to, to Europe and the US. Um, but I'm, I'm deeply convinced that um, regenerative agricultural food in countries like Uganda is not and also should not uh, be more expensive than what we can find on the market of course pressure on prices are, are really high um, but um, we we need to stop hunting for for price premiums we need to stop building those those niche and elite export markets for organic we really need to we need to ask ourselves the question how can we feed all Ugandans with uh, healthy nutritious um, and safe food so that's that's what rudile is really working on and, and, and throughout our, our venture building process we've we've been really challenging our founders in residence continuously on on that topic of of Yes, but how will you serve um, mainstream Ugandan consumers and not only the elite in Kampala or, or abroad? No, so that, that's really a key point for me. And um, I, I'm, I'm not alone. Uh, I, I know Silvia Curia who might be listening, uh, an organic farmer champion in Kenya, Um Deeply believes uh, what I just said, and uh, and there's also feeble, the organic uh, food, uh, the Organic Research Institute uh, in Switzerland. They've they've launched a a Syscom study, systems comparison study, in Kenya, Bolivia, and India, um, a few years ago, and they basically found that uh, both. Chemical and organic production at low intensity um, uh, actually produce at loss, um, while high management organic uh, farming is as performant as intensive chemical agriculture, right? The former needs more knowledge and labor, um, but is uh, less input uh, dependent and less cost heavy in that sense. So um, yeah, organic food can save uh, mainstream Ugandan consumers.
0: And what about you, Joachim? Where where do you think different in that sense, or how, what do you believe to be true that others don't about regenerative agriculture?
1: Yeah, I think I'll start with the obvious. Um, if we don't change the way we produce our food, we're all going to die. <laughs> um, we've seen a new influx of diseases um, here locally. Um, yeah, you know th- that that are explainable, right? Uh, we've seen immunity suffering locally that's unexplainable. We need healthier um, and more nutritious food on the market um, for ourselves, right? So I think that's the first. Um, and regional agriculture offers the opportunity uh, to increase this um, access to safe, healthy, safe, and nutritious food um, for our people, for our populations. Um, so that's the first for me. The second that I see that you know, may not be, maybe many people believe it, but farmers are badly in need of more natural ways of farming. Like I said earlier on, they see the use of chemicals. They don't like it, uh, but they go ahead and do it because they have um, very little alternatives. Um, uh, But regenerative agriculture and agroecology offer these options for them. Um, So if you're able to show them um, and show them, you know that it works, then I believe that most farmers will transition. Um, towards regenerative agriculture and agroecology. And this is one of the things we're excited about building um, in our work and at offering these options uh, to them so that they can uh, farm more naturally, uh, farm more agroecologically, farm more regeneratively. Um, yeah.
0: And no, very, very good answer. I think the the myth of production, like Mother and yield, and the myth of farmers like to put and spray and plow and and destroy. I think those two are some very big ones that, uh, us in the city or or people that are not daily interacting interacting with land, should should wrap their head around And those are myths and and we like to tell them and there are a lot of um, very, uh, strong incentives to keep telling those myths, but they are still myths. And so let's, uh, let's, let's stop telling them maybe, or let's at least challenge them every time we, we hear them. Um, and then to, um, usually one of the final questions, let's see, uh, because they also lead to rabbit holes, but if you have a magic wand or you had a magic wand and you could change one thing overnight, what would that be?
2: yeah so um, what I would change overnight is to change the rule of the game called uh, capitalism and, and, and in particular venture capitalism. I, um, and, and I believe steward ownership is a way a way to do that no so I would magically apply steward ownership to all existing and uh, new businesses worldwide. Um, so why would I do that? I think that we see the typical flaws of venture capitalism, um, and, and, and overall. Growing and staggering levels of inequality. You know, 1% of the world owns more than all the rest of us combined. And and the way our businesses are financed, managed, and owned uh, also leads to, um, to these flaws of, of, of capitalism as I see them. One of them is uh, short-termism, you know, that hunting for unicorns, extractive capitalism, expecting returns from companies until the end of times, uh, while your initial maybe investment was also uh, limited. In, in the overall growth of that company over time, uh, we could say we could argue um, we see absentee ownership. Um, people at the other side of the world calling the shots of a company in Uganda or East Africa, um, and and also that fact that yeah, more money leads to more ownership, right? And 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 typically founders. Uh, Initially, purpose-driven founders also tend to lose ownership fast as they as they raise more money, um, and and that also also leads to the dilution of the value, values and ideas behind the startup initially. Um, uh, let alone selling to the highest bidder. You no, know? so um, in in short, mission drift uh, is really uh, I would say a big threat to building uh, purpose-driven. Uh, Enterprises and and so we need us we need a way to protect the purpose of a company and and this is what we do with steward ownership. Um, I'll explain how it works in a minute. Um, but the advantages are, are numerous of uh, of steward ownership. First of all, they allow us to to have a long-term perspective on the growth and impact of a business. We can act as a good ancestor or we can apply what's called cathedral thinking you know, or intergenerational thinking. Um, it allows for companies to self-govern for the company that's are in charge of the day-to-day operations of that company uh, for those people to um, allow them to steer the company towards its purpose. It allows for uh, increase in... uh, Productivity, profits, and impact. Um, a study in Denmark has shown that steward-owned companies tend to live much longer. They are six times more likely to celebrate their 40th birthday. Um, it allows to retain talent, to nurture talent, um, and, and it also allows for uh, uh, succession planning um, to leave the company from one generation to the next generation of, of capable and uh, purpose-driven stewards. And so, in short, it allows for a purpose uh, lock-in Protecting the company from from mission drifting, um, and, and it's it's quite simple actually in 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 theory at least um, steward ownership proposes a strict separation between the financial and the decision rights in a company. So, investors can still invest. They can still um, expect a, a fair return on their investment. Um, however, usually those returns are capped in time and and we talk of uh, predetermined exits. So, if this happens, then that's the kind of exit uh, modality we'll choose for. Um, and so um, because of that strict separation between financial and decision rights, the company is now or that this is the decisions are made by the founders, the employees and other closely involved stakeholders rather than absentee financial owners. Um, and so um, this purpose lock happens with a golden shareholder, which is a third party independent organization that holds certain veto rights in the company uh, as a mission guarantor and, and is obliged to yeah, veto any changes to the to the company structures that would go against its initial purpose. So it doesn't only protect the purpose uh, of a company, it also protects its founders from losing ownership. And I think this is what's something that really talks to, to our, our Ugandan or our first founders uh, in residence, uh, is to, yeah, to leave a legacy, to build an impactful business that gives back to the community, but also um, to, yeah, to protect their own involvement uh, and, and, and say in, in the future of the business um, and, and avoid mission drift at all costs. Um, so yeah, Stuart ownership it's a movement, it's decades old, in some cases even ages old, uh, like Zeiss uh, since the 1800s. Um, some steward-owned companies are publicly listed, like Carlsberg, uh, Ecosia, uh, my favorite search engine, um, competing with Google uh, on steward-ownership principles. And then yeah, Patagonia that recently gave their company away to Modern Nature. No, they're all examples of, of very successful steward-ownership companies, and, and we're building a few more here in Uganda. And
0: what about you, I'll put the interview we did with Armin, one of the founders of Purpose uh, in, the, in Germany that really pushed, let's say, the modern revival of, of steward ownership in, in the show notes below. But what about you, Joachim? If you had a magic wand, what would you change overnight?
1: Yeah, I think, of, you know, everything um, we're already seeing doing and promoting right now, how do we make regenerative agriculture and agriculture the norm of funding for our world uh, to produce healthy and nutritious food, while farming in harmony with nature and providing a comfortable livelihood uh, to our farmers, that's what I would wish for. Overnight.
0: And and then to ask a final question, I know we are uh, coming up on time, and I want to be conscious of both of your times as well. Um, if you had a billion dollars or a billion euros, let, let's you can pick the currency. Um, what would you do i'm not looking for exact dollar amounts or euros amounts but i'm looking for what you would focus on um what i'm asking to both you can choose who, who takes the question um but what would you do if you had to put to work so it is an investment a billion euros or dollars
2: i i think i would uh try and scale uh and just continue what we are doing but taking it of course to the to the next level um with an iteration-based approach, right? So always focusing on on in-country ownership, uh, very strong partnerships like the one uh, we're having with Shona uh, here in Uganda, and and I would uh, probably set up uh, um, that structure to or infrastructure to to invest in regenerative agriculture and agroecological businesses. Um, I would. I've I've been discussing this with with Bart actually uh, recently Bart from Fresh Ventures um our our shared dream is to to create a network of regenerative startup studios that that do what we do in in like we're doing it now in the Netherlands and in Uganda um, but across the world and across different geographies and 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 agronomical uh, conditions and so uh, I would spend the first first tranche of money in setting up um 10 uh, then 20 then 100 regenerative startup studios uh, across the world um preferably I would say with a with a national focus um the second tranche i would uh, use to kickstart funding for the businesses that come out of those uh, startup studios first of all uh, to give them some startup capital to get get some runway to go to go and and build up to product market fit we are investing 7000 dollars in the companies uh, we will be co-founding uh, here in uganda um, in the coming months um, then i would also include a stipend for farmers uh, sorry for the founders founders to take off the financial pressure of those founders and allow them to really focus uh, full-time on building their business uh, because, yeah, they have a lot of other things going and distractions, um, just as a yeah as a risk diversification strategy, um, uh, the founders in Uganda tend to have multiple revenue streams going, and 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 rightly so. So I would uh, try to um, balance that a bit with with a, with a, an Ashoka kind of fellowship uh, for uh, early day uh, agricultural entrepreneurs, um, and then I would spend probably most of the money on establishing uh, something like a revolving loan fund. Where we can first invest 50, then 150, then 500,000 uh, dollars and more into the businesses uh, uh, that come out of our studios and and, and pipeline, but also opening this to to other regenerative uh, uh, businesses um, out there. Um, I know Grounded Investment Company has raised some funding too. I, I see a lot of uh, like-minded initiatives uh, all trying to raise their fund, and and I think there would be a lot of value in an over Overarching uh, funding structure uh, to make that kind of investments, and um, yeah, we could compare this to agroforestry, right? I would invest now, expect the first fruits to come in three to seven years uh, from now, and then the bigger returns uh, coming after that. No, so we we need long-term capital, and, and uh, it's not all about the monetary value we'll be creating. Uh, we can multiply that one uh, if we also factor in social benefits, biodiversity increase, the improvement in water holding capacity, and so on. So all those other types of, of value should also be, be valued. Um, and on top of that, I would save some money uh, to invest in the wider ecosystem. Now, uh, AFSA, I, I know where. AFSA, the African Foods and so- Sovereignty Alliance and the Agriculture Funds, they're doing great work in funding the grassroots agroecology movement in, in, in Africa um, uh, on the philanthropic and civil society levels. Uh, and I think we should also spend more money in, in knowledge work and, and advocacy for, for more agroecological and purpose driven entrepreneurship.
0: And then, Joachim, I don't know, you. you I know you prepared both um, for, for these questions. Do you have anything to add to that? Uh, I know you have to run to a next meeting, and I want to wrap up as well. And uh, we're running out of time already a bit. Do you have anything to to add to spending spending a billion or investing a billion euros or dollars?
1: Yeah, no, in, in addition to what Hannes has mentioned, right, how do we use this, uh, you know, really quickly, first of all, to... Um, like I mentioned, um, the traditional investment models um, may not work for these kinds of businesses. And so one of the questions we've been asking ourselves as well is, you know, how do you structure the right investment uh, into regenerative agriculture businesses to help them grow while, um, um, yeah, to help them grow while uplifting farmers um, and helping farmers transition to agroecology. And so, you know, would you use uh, the first initial tranche to enough these right investment models. That can then help us uh, successfully catalyze the next 100 billion or $1 trillion in capital uh, to generative agriculture businesses um, in this part of the world, but also globally.
0: And with that, I think it's a perfect end to this conversation. I'm very much looking forward to following. A over time. And of course, the businesses, they're going to be invited in the studio and then are going to um, graduate from the studio at some point. And then the next cohort and the next and uh, probably different countries as well. I think you've come an enormous way since I heard about the first ideas. Um, and of course, building on uh, the enormous work already done by uh, Joachim and the team to to get this. And then there's the speed. Suddenly it goes it goes enormously fast. So thank you so much for both of you for joining here in a busy day and to share uh, this part of the journey, and then we'll, we'll keep checking in on the journey that continues.
2: Thank you, Kun. Yeah, thanks, Kun. I've, I've spent countless hours on the road in Uganda, listening to your podcast and, and learning from your community, so I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links we discussed in this episode, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash posts. If you liked this episode, why not share it with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? That really helps. Thanks again and see you next time.